0: Let's stand together now and let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Romans, chapter 14, or I'm sorry, chapter 13. Sunday morning, studying the book of Romans together. If you've come in today and, and uh, without a Bible, just wave to one of these guys with a Bibles coming up the aisles right now, and they'll put one in your hand so you can hear the Word, but you can also see it with your own eyes. If you don't own a Bible, please make that one a gift from the Lord to you today. Uh, Romans, chapter uh, 13, verse 11. And Paul writes, and he says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. And therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry uh, or, uh, and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would, in each of our hearts, just kind of slow us down from life and uh, to just whatever is clamoring for our attention today— uh, give us the grace now to put our attention uh, solely upon you. We pray that you would help us to do the one thing that we're also very prone to do, and that is to merely be a hearer of your word and not a doer. And we pray that the truths that we look at today will not only fill our minds and impact our thinking and our perspectives, but that you would cause these truths to. Drop that most important 18 inches down into our hearts and into our will, Lord. And so we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit through your word this morning as we desire to live for you and as we desire to obey you in this wonderful, wonderful thing that you have called us to in the Christian life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So once again, as we uh, come here to this section of chapter 13, we have the Apostle Paul giving his description of the life of a, Cri- a Christian who has presented their uh, body as a living sacrifice uh, unto God in response to the salvation that God has uh, freely given to us. When Paul uh, begins this section of uh, 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 verses with Uh, You notice there in verse 11 when he begins it with, and do this, uh, he's referring to everything that he has said from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to this point. And so he says, and do all of these things, uh, and then now he's kind of putting a conclusion to this before he heads into a new subject in in chapter uh, 14. So we're going to study this passage of Scripture from the vantage point of three great exhortations that Paul gives uh, every one of us as a Christian, as it's contained in in the passage. And the exhortation number one in verse 11 is to wake up, and second in verse 12 to cast off, and then third in verse 14 uh, to put on. And so he declares to us, wake up, cast off, put on. Wake up, cast off, put on. Wake up, cast off, and put on. And as you repeat that over and over again, wake up, cast off, and put on, you stop and ask ourselves whether it reminds us of uh, something that we engage in on a daily basis uh, in life. And the imagery that Paul is using here and intending to bring to the forefront of our mind is something that each of us does every single morning. Uh, we wake up, and then upon uh, having uh, w- w- woke up uh, from sleep, we then put off of uh, put off our night clothes, and then we put on our day clothes to begin a new day. So he takes something that's very familiar to us and gives it a spiritual application, and that we're to live lives that are spiritually uh, awake and alert. Uh, He defines the night clothes that we're to put off here and the day clothes that we're to put on. Now when he tells us here in verse 11 and the start of verse 12 that we're, uh, he he begins by calling on us to wake up and specifically as Christians to wake up out of sleep. And he tells us that we're to wake up out of any kind of a spiritual sleep that we might be in uh, for three reasons. Verse 11 first, knowing the time. Uh, Second, in verse 11, for our salvation is near than when we first believed. And then third, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, there in verse 12. And what Paul is referring to in all three of these uh, phrases, he's saying the same thing in three uh, different ways, and he's referring to the return of Jesus Christ for uh, the church, as he has promised. And so that the time uh, speaks to this in verse 11 the day speaks to this in verse 12 uh, in verse 11 our salvation speaks uh, to this very uh, thing and and all of it's in the sense that at the time of the rapture of the church when jesus returns as he promised from heaven and, uh, and not to the earth but to call us to meet him in the skies uh, and and, uh, and and the rapture of the church that occurs prior to that seven-year period known as the tribulation period, where God uh, pours His judgment out upon the world that has uh, defied both God's offer of salvation and of, of His His commandments in the form of the uh, seal and the trumpet and the bold judgments uh, th- that. Uh, it, 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 during what, again, is, is known as the tribulation. And, and then at that, when that rapture occurs, we're going to possess uh, the fullness of our salvation. At this point in time, as we sit here as Christians, we have uh, 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 salvation that we've experienced from the penalty of our sin past. We experience the salvation from the power of sin presently in our life. But one day our salvation is going to include uh, a salvation in deliverance from the very presence of sin, and that is the future uh, at the time of this rapture. And, and so Paul is talking about, when he talks about salvation, he's talking about it, it coming to us in its, in its ultimate form at that particular time. Paul wrote of this rapture of the church of of Christians uh, prior to this judgment in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he wrote, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, and therefore comfort one another with these words. Of that particular day, Jesus himself declared, John chapter 14, to us as his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also." And this is what Paul is referring to, the rapture of the church, Jesus' return for the church. Now, because we don't know the day, or the hour that this rapture of the church is going to uh, occur, the Bible teaches that as Christians, we're to live our lives in such a way as to be prepared for it to occur at any time. Uh, and, 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 uh, and how are we made ready for it? Well, the Bible tells us that we should be watching for it, we should be waiting for Jesus' return. And not only watching, waiting, but the kind of the uh, trinity of that uh, watching, waiting, and working were to be found also serving God in, in his call upon our lives. That the rapture of the church should find, uh, catch every Christian in that kind of an awakened state. We're eager for his return, We're watching, waiting for it, working uh, uh, about his business while uh, we are watching and waiting uh, for it. Uh, Jesus taught us in the, his parable of the 10 virgins, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the hour, the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. In a similar vein in uh, Mark's gospel, Jesus declares, uh, lest uh, watch therefore, for you know not when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, uh, uh, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So as Paul makes this exhortation, he's not making it independent of of the Lord Jesus. It's something that Jesus uh, declared uh, repeatedly. In Jesus' parable of the ten minas, he taught that we're to occupy until he comes. And the word occupy means to take care of business. It means that uh, we're to be busy about God's business Uh, and his call upon our lives in in Christian service while we're waiting for his return. Now, in the Bible, the the rapture of the church is described as an imminent event. And that simply means that it's something that could happen at any time. Uh, And because it could happen at any time, we're to live, the Bible teaches, in a constant state of readiness for it. Uh, the realization that at some point in human history one moment we're going to be going about our business in this world and literally in the time that it takes uh, light to reflect off of an eye uh, in the twinkling of an eye in the next moment we will be uh, face to face with jesus and this expectation Uh, Of Jesus' coming is intended to uh, be a great comfort to us as Christians, as Paul uh, wrote, and it's also to produce a great excitement in our lives, an anticipation. Uh, We possess an excitement and anticipation concerning every single day, uh, just in this vein alone, that nobody else in the world uh, possesses, that today could be uh, the day. And uh, the Bible teaches that this is to be the bride, uh, the attitude of the bride of Christ. And Christians, we make up the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom, we are the bride. That is the imagery for the relationship that is, is used in, in the Bible. You think about what kind of a bride would we be if we weren't excitedly looking for our wedding day? I mean, what, it would not only be a poor reflection upon the bride that it would be a horrible reflection upon the groom. I mean, it would cause people that were looking at the the life of the bride and the lack of anticipation and excitement and wonder, what kind of a a loser uh, is she marrying? Uh, that the, you can't even, she can't even get excited for her wedding day. So it reflects badly all the way around for a Christian to lack this kind of excitement and and alertness and eagerness and anticipation concerning uh, Jesus coming in that day that that the Father has has uh, appointed. And the Apostle John, he wrote uh, of the attitude of, of the Holy Spirit and the attitude of the bride of Christ toward uh, Jesus' promise to return for us once again. Uh, he, John, the Apostle John fairly closes the book of Revelation uh, by declaring, and the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and the bride, speaking of us as Christians. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And uh, that's the uh, calling upon uh, the coming of Jesus to to, uh, begin the whole progression that will unfold in the book of Revelation, and end in a new heaven and a new earth. But it's more than just beginning a prophetic uh, progression. It is the eagerness uh, of the bride for the coming uh, of of the groom. And since uh, this come is the attitude of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus' return, it's to be and will be certainly the attitude of any christian that he controls i don't think that it, 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 any case can be made against the fact that uh, any no spirit christian is spirit filled or spirit controlled who does not possess an excitement and an and, and anticipation concerning uh, uh, jesus's return uh, john the Apostle John he closes the book of Revelation uh, by declaring, "Even so, come, Lord Jesus!" And that uh, that is the Maranatha, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus!" And if the as Paul puts it here, if the early church lived in the expectation of Jesus' return, uh, knowing that every day brings us a day closer to that that event then how much more should we be living in anticipation and excited and awake to that day as it approaches now that we are some 1,900-plus years closer than even they were? Uh, it 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 would be inconsistent for them to walk with that kind of an anticipation, and then for us to be 1,900 years down the road and to possess less excitement and less expectation concerning his, uh, his return. And yet, as Paul writes this, he declares clearly that it's possible for a Christian to be completely asleep to this, uh, to live day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, even decade after decade, and have no excitement for the return of the Lord, no sense of anticipation related to it, to have fallen asleep to it uh, completely. And so he says it's high time uh, to wake out of sleep. And so the call is for us to wake up. Uh, the clock is ticking in this this regard and uh, and the 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 rapture of the church is intended to uh, to uh, produce within us this anticipation this this uh, alertness and and being awake the the rapture of the church is also intended to produce a uh, a, a needed urgency within our lives uh, a sanctified urgency within, within our lives to keep us from falling asleep spiritually in this regard. And so the fact that he could return at any time, uh, it makes us realize that time is short, time is limited. It may even be shorter than my lifetime if he comes in that lifetime. And the work that he's called us to do is work that we should be uh, diligent about uh, doing. And so the passage asks us in the privacy of our own heart, uh, are you and I spiritually awake in this regard? Uh, Are we alive? Are we vibrant? Are we watching? Are we waiting? Is there this eagerness? Is there this uh, even so come uh, quickly, Lord Jesus, in, uh, in, in, in your return? Are we excited about that? And if that's something that in the honesty of your heart this morning, you look at it and you say, I don't possess that, then you are precisely who Paul is addressing here in this passage. And the importance of realizing the clock really is ticking, the imagery that he uses, and uh, the alarm has now gone off. I mean, this is the warning that he's given that uh, that you would be in an unnatural state. Christian state to be in that place and to wake up to that. Time to get out of bed uh, spiritually and, and go to work. And so, uh, to just allow that to just sit within our hearts, if that is not there in our lives as Christians, then we're missing something, uh, uh, not only something in terms of an intellectual knowledge of Christianity, but something is missing in our relationship with the Lord. Something is missing in our devotion and intimacy with God that we would lack that kind of an excitement of a bride. Eager for the coming uh, of the groom. He tells us further that we're to cast off in uh, the latter part of verse 12 and then into verse uh, 13. And so the awareness of the approach of the day uh, of the rapture, of Jesus' return for us as Christians, it's intended to uh, have an effect upon our lives that it causes us uh, to cast off the works of darkness. Uh, for the simple reason that if Jesus could come back at any time, uh, no Christian, Uh, wants to be found uh, in a state where he returns and he finds us in some kind of a a place of not being uh, properly uh, ready for that. We certainly don't want to be found living a lukewarm life or living a carnal life or living uh, engaged in sin at that that moment that that he returns. When he tells us that we're to cast off uh, here, I think one of the important things that he, he's communicating in this, uh, because a person can be awake to the return of the Lord and uh, be a, a great student of the prophetic Scriptures, and and uh, watch the prophetic scriptures that the Bible talks about will mark the age as Jesus' return uh, approaches. And a person can be uh, up-to-date on all of those things and uh, fully up-to-date with them. And as important as those things are, a Christian can know all of those things, even be excited about them, and completely unprepared for the rapture of the church. Uh, If I am excited, I am awake, but I do not have a side of my Christian life that is also casting off uh, the works of of darkness. And so here we see that the expectation of Jesus' return is intended to have a purifying effect. In our lives as uh, uh, Christians, because again, we don't want the rapture of the church to catch us, you know, in a backslidden state or carnal state and or actively engaged in a lifestyle of deliberate sin. We just don't want to be there when that happens. John, the Apostle John, again, he wrote of the relationship between uh, living and expectation of Jesus' return and. Uh, and, and, and holy living, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, talking about Jesus' return, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then here's our point for this morning. And everyone who has this hope, this anticipation of Jesus' return at the rapture of the church, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, that is Jesus, is pure. I remember uh, many years ago, I've mentioned it before when we've talked about the rapture, but I've said everything before. Uh, But I remember years ago there was a conference that was going on, a Calvary Chapel conference that was going on in Colorado. It was an annual conference. and, uh, And in order to save the church money, I wouldn't fly to these things. I would just order the tapes afterwards. And I remember listening to the cassette tapes, which tells you how long ago this thing was. But they, they would have this conference there, and the speaker, or the, the guy that organized it — a great guy uh, — his idea was that he would kind of deal with uh, kind of controversial subjects within uh, and areas of disagreement within the body of Christ and have uh, w- one speaker take one side and another speaker take the other or two and two, whatever it might be. And he did a conference on uh, the rapture of the church, whether it's pre-trib or whether it's uh, post-trib. And I'm not going to unpack all of that if that's something you don't understand. But, um, and so they, I was listening and, and the guy that was uh, post-trib And uh, he got up and as he was laying out his case, he uh, resorted in the course of things to uh, ridiculing uh, what he considered to be the fear factor related to the pre-tribulation rapture. And the idea that Christians would live their life, uh, you know, before they would go into a movie theater and uh, that they would ever have to live in in bondage to the idea of asking, would I want the rapture to occur while I'm in the middle of watching this movie? And so he scorned it uh, and he ridiculed uh, the idea of it. Uh, well, the next speaker got up, none other than Don McClure. And uh, he got up after that, and, uh, and his response was, uh, what's so bad about that? <laughs> Which was exactly what, uh, y- y- you know, I was thinking while I was listening to it, and it's the very thing that the Apostle John is talking about. And that is that this anticipation, the fact that the Lord could come back at any time is to influence us for holiness, that we would want to be in a place where we are ready spiritually and, and, uh, and whatever it is that we're engaged in. Uh, and, uh, in that moment and that it would be something that it, it, we'd want to be in a condition that for the rapture to occur and, and to be found in just, just the right, uh, right place. And so this, uh, this uh, purifying influence that the rapture of the church produces within our lives, it's not the only thing that it produces, but it is one of the things. And, and I think, you know, in terms of mocking the idea of these different things that God has given uh, to us as an influence toward a holy life like the other speaker did, um, I'd, I don't look at myself, I don't look at you or any Christian, I mean, in the, the, the temptations of, uh, that are in the world that we live in, and the, one of the greatest temptations is just simply to fall asleep spiritually while being saved. I don't look at anything that God has given us that is intended to keep us awake in the midst of this pilgrimage as being some kind of a bad thing. I don't think any of us have a a concern. About uh, being too holy when this day occurs, or being too in the will of God when this day occurs. And so it doesn't seem to me, as the other speaker was concerned about, uh, that this is uh, some kind of a problem in the body of Christ. I think the bigger problem is being asleep uh, or uh, not casting off the, the works of darkness, is that. As a part of our lives as as the the day is uh, approaching no it, it it provides us with needed influence for holy living uh, if we 'll make it a, 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 that allow it to have that kind of a, an impact upon our lives. Paul then gives us a kind of a broad cross section of the kind of sins that we 're to uh, cast off is the works of darkness there in verse 13. And casting off means just, li- just like uh, what it says. It, it, it is the idea of more than just taking off, uh, it, it, it is to throw off, to be done with. And he speaks about revelry, uh, so partying and, and uh, uh, riotous uh, living, he speaks of drunkenness, uh, he speaks of lewdness, which talks about sexual immorality. Uh, fornication and and adultery. Uh, Then he talks about lust, and this deals with uh, all other sexual immorality that isn't involved with uh, sexual intercourse. And, uh, and 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 uh, beyond that, it's, it speaks of the person who just got this complete lack of moral restraint, a lack of shame uh, in, in terms of of, of their sexual uh, practices, and and so it includes all forms of of sexual immorality. That's the culture that we live in. That's the hookup culture that we uh, that we live in and, and beyond. He tells us further that. Uh, We're to uh, cast off strife, and that is to fighting with people. And I think sometimes Christians are the worst fighters in the whole world, Uh, will fight at the drop of a hat. And so uh, we're to give this up. It's a work of darkness. It's not a part of, uh, you know, the the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, the Bible says. And so whether it's… strife, this fighting, this contending with people, whether it's actually physical uh, or or, uh, verbal. And then uh, there is, uh, he uh, speaks of envy, and that is uh, jealousy, being jealous of others. Now, Paul, positively, he tells us there at the end of verse 12, he says that we're to put on the armor of light. In other words, not only are we not to engage in the works of darkness, uh, but we are to live uh, a life in the midst of the spiritual warfare of this world, in the midst of the temptations of, of this world to sin, and, uh, and live in such a way that it results in Uh, the defense of light, God's light, and the expansion of light in this world. Again, very familiarly, uh, and you can say the word better than I can, Uh, but Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5. He said, uh, you are the light of the world. And when Jesus said to us as Christians, you are the light of the world, uh, in the original language, it is you and you alone. There's no competition. It's like he has bet the entire bundle on us. We will either be light in the world by his Holy Spirit and through his word and holy living, or there will be no light in the world. And so he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do they, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he tells us to put on the armor of light. Now, notice in verse 14 that Paul tells us that we're to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And the idea is, is, is that we're not to give the slightest uh, 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 nourishment uh, to the flesh. Isn't it interesting, uh, maybe you notice, that here you are, you walk as a Christian, and maybe you're listening to Christian music all of the time, just sowing to your spirit and listening to Bible studies and in fellowship, in church, and a home fellowship, or whatever, all of this sowing to the spirit. And… Uh, uh, and in order to keep you know strong spiritually but you give that flesh a saltine cracker and and make provision for it and the energy it gets out of a saltine cracker is amazing And we've all got different metabolisms don't we and uh, sometimes you've got the person who, you've got this person over here who can go to Mr. T's and eat a dozen donuts in one uh, sitting and not gained a pound. And we hate, we hate those people. <laughs> They're typically young in life. But then you've got other people with a completely different metabolism. And I mean, they just eat, they eat half a donut and they put on 15 pounds. And it's really unjust, it's unjust altogether, really. On things but it it's like that and so no provision can be made for the flesh the language also speaks about not uh, making any planning uh, accommodation for the flesh in my mind thinking about how I'm going to uh, engage in some uh, temptation uh, of of the flesh no provision at all And uh, no nourishment at all. We're to mortify it, as Paul we saw earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. uh, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. And that word mortify means to kill, it means to murder, it means to cold blooded murder, show no mercy. Uh, Upon uh, the flesh, making provision for it, uh, because the flesh is always working to destroy us and destroy our relationship. Uh, with God. And sin in the flesh, it will never show us any mercy, and we're never to show in it any mercy at all. Again, as someone has said, uh, it is the ruthlessness of sin uh, that requires ruthlessness with sin, desires to destroy us. And how do we mortify uh, the deeds of the flesh? How is it that we make no provision for the flesh? Uh, and the best way to keep it down in its, uh, in a, in a, a, a deprived situation is simply to starve it to death, not uh, to feed it. And whatever nature we feed, whether it's our flesh or our spirit, that's going to be the nature that's going to lead us in life. Now, finally here, because no one can live a negative and at this point, Paul is dealing in a negative. So now he goes on to say that we are to put on, verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're to choose to live the life that he lives. We're to live our life in such a way that he is our example for how we live and what we speak, and what we do, and our uh, thoughts, and our, our attitudes. So he's our example. Uh, his life is our example. We look and we see how he handled different situations and people in the Gospels, and we say, Lord, I want that to be how I interact with people and situations in the world. I want my character to be like his character. He is uh, and, and put that on. I want my life to be characterized uh, by his his teaching. And when Paul and I think it's important to notice, he says, "But put on the Lord Jesus Christ." He didn't doesn't always, in fact, rarely does he refer to Jesus in his epistles as the Lord Jesus Christ. Most often, he describes him as uh, Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. So when he adds the Lord, it isn't just he's trying to make the letter a little bit longer. He's trying to communicate something. Uh, to us in, 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 in all of that a- and, and r- to remind us of the fact that we are to have a relationship with Jesus that is marked by his lordship in our lives. And that will result in a Christian life that is lived in obedience to his commandments and obedience to his example a- as well. Jesus put it perfectly and in, in, in rebuking, uh, uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And the wonderful thing about the Christian life is that, the, is that God has provided us as Christians with all that we need in order to uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses in this regard is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation. Nobody can do that. We're now to work out the implications of the salvation that we've already received. And then he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will to do, and uh, 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 both to will and to do for His good pleasure. In other words, when God saves us, His Holy Spirit comes into our life, and He provides us with a desire to live a life like Christ. And then, uh, wouldn't it be horrible if He merely provided us with the desire but not the power to do so, or to provide us with the power to do so but not the desire? Now the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he provides us with both, the desire to live a life like Christ and then the power uh, to do so. And, and for that reason, each of us this morning as Christians. We are living the Christian life that we choose uh, to live. And so in the light of, of God's uh, exhortation here, and it is, it's an exhortive passage that Paul uh, speaks here uh, to allow, allow the passage to examine us. And so this morning, am I spiritually awake or asleep? Am I walking in darkness or, or not? Am I making provision for the flesh or not? Is Jesus the single great example in my life as a Christian? Not other Christian's. Is he the great example for how I think and how I live and, and how I uh, conduct myself in life and in terms of my character and not only what I am in public, but what I am in, in privately. And I exhort myself as well. And just to say, when is the last time I just constant, uh, consciously, you consciously stopped and we asked ourselves uh, concerning something in life. Is this something Jesus would say? Is this something that Jesus uh, would do? Is this something that Jesus would participate in? And again, we can come into this place where we begin to live months and years of our Christian lives. It was something that we knew at one time, something that we practiced at one time, but now it is long gone. I've settled into a Christianity of my own devising, of my own defining, and I rarely bring Jesus' life or the standard of his life into play in uh, my consciousness at all. And Paul calls on us to return to that place and to maybe take a half an hour today or tomorrow, better today, today's what we have, and then to examine my life and to examine my priorities, and to examine my spiritual zeal, uh, uh, my other-centeredness, or or the the place of self-sacrifice in my life, how I spend my money, how I talk to people, how I view people, and so forth. And to just say, Lord, in the light of this passage that Paul wrote here in Romans chapter uh, 13, I want you to examine my life for how much of it even looks remotely like Christ. And anything where I've lost sight of him as a standard, would you bring that to my attention so that that can once again be the conscious standard of my thinking, my doing, my saying, my motives, my living, my example of being a light uh, in this uh, world? And it's important, as Paul tells us here, because the day is approaching. It's approaching, and even if it does not come in my lifetime, uh, life, uh, the, the opportunity to live this kind of life is just flying by. And in this regard, I think of the famous quote by C.T. Studd. Most of you have heard it, but everyone ought to hear it once in their life. He said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, how archaic. Uh, What a wonderful thought uh, for the church in the United States of the 1940s or the 1950s. But we've gone way past that now in the year 2019. Nobody lives like that. Nobody takes Christianity that seriously anymore and to have these things that just kind of roll in one ear and out the other, and to realize that these things that so uh, marked Christians and caused them to make a difference in the world in which they were living is as true and as necessary in this moment in human history as ever they were. And again, for our Christianity to come out of this Bible and out of the life of Christ— and not out of what the culture tells us Christianity ought to be and not even what other Christians model or tell us to be, or what our own heart wants to settle into. It's an exhortive passage, but it's an important one, and it's worthy of a walk after uh, the sermon and just to allow God to uh, have it do its full work in each of our lives. This morning in this context of the subject matters. We're talking about uh, walking not in darkness and casting off the work, works of darkness uh, in this passage. I, I want to inform you of some resources that we've put in place on our website uh, to assist in helping Christians to become free of a, an epidemic that absolutely fills our world, and, uh, and that is the epidemic of pornography. And uh, allow me to just briefly give you some statistics uh, concerning uh, pornography use. And uh, and I'm going to be borrowing from uh, Tim Challies, a well-known pastor and and blogger. He used uh, George Barna's recent report, The Porn Phenomenon, uh, uh, as his source. Uh, Not all of you are familiar with the scope of, of this problem and this epidemic Uh, he he writes that in 2016, which is about the latest statistics you can get on this, he said people watched 4.4 billion hours of pornography at just one website, uh, the biggest porn site in the world. That's uh, 520,000 years of porn, or if you will, uh, around 17,000 complete lifetimes. In that same time, people watched 92 billion videos or an average of 12 and a half for every person on earth, and that's in one year. Uh, it, 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 we, and uh, so many people are, are using so much porn today, uh, it's impossible to, uh, to tabulate, but just to give us an idea of the scope of the problem. At age 11, the average child has already been exposed to explicit pornographic content through the internet. Ninety-three percent of boys and sixty-two percent of girls are exposed to internet-based pornography during their adolescent years, and uh, twenty-two percent of the vast quantities of porn consumed by people aged under eighteen is consumed by those aged less than 10 years uh, old, which speaks to us as parents of the need to be aware of this and setting safeguards up uh, in our our children. We could wish that this wasn't a a modern-day part of parenting, uh, but it it is. It's been forced upon us. 57% of young adults admit to seeking out porn uh, at least uh, once per month. 46% of men uh, admit uh, to The same. Uh, 49% of young adults say that most of or all of their friends use porn on a regular uh, basis. And so, very pronounced across the culture, but a a real crisis uh, in in young adults. Today, 33% of women uh, aged 25. And pornography use by women is the fastest growing uh, market for pornography in the world today. Uh, Thirty-three percent of women aged 25 and under go searching for porn at least uh, once per month. Fifty-six percent of women in that uh, age group have gone looking for it at least one time. in uh, in uh, the past, compared to 27 percent of those aged 25 or or older, and so again, uh, what was once considered the uh, domain of uh, men is now uh, very much the domain of both uh, sexes. Charisma Magazine, again, saying, uh, citing the Barna Group and Covenant Eyes, uh, their research. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn uh, sites. Uh, there are around, and this is uh, mind-boggling, there are around 42 million porn websites uh, in existence while we sit in this room today, uh, at, at with, uh, which totals about 370 million pages of porn in existence. Uh, The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It's more than the combined revenues of ABC, uh, CBS, and NBC. Forty-seven percent of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. And then closer to home for us this morning... 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Uh, Of young uh, Christian adults, 18 to 24-year-old, 76% actively uh, search for porn. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. Eighty-seven uh, percent of Christian women have watched porn, according to the polling. We could go on all morning uh, reading these kind of, uh, of statistics, but it gives you an idea of how big this problem is uh, all, all around us. Uh, some time ago, uh, one of our pastors on staff, he made known to the rest of us as pastors of a a, 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 a video from... Uh, the Ministry of Dallas Theological Seminary, and they have an outreach of that seminary, and it's a a video series, profitable, that's called The Table, and it addressed the subject. And what I want to do is I want to show you uh, eight minutes uh, uh, worth of segments from that video, Uh, in the hope that it will prime the pump for you then going to our website where it will be posted for you to to watch in its entirety and uh, and especially if you're a parent. But everyone, I would hope, would, would watch it in order to be educated on the scope of the problem and that even if it isn't something that you struggle with personally, to be aware of these resources for those uh, that you know or will come to know are struggling uh, with, with this, this bondage, and, uh, and then certainly to be engaged in prayer. Uh, for this body and, and other churches uh, in, in this regard as well. Uh, the speakers that you're about to see are Daryl Bach, who is the moderator he and a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Josh McDowell, famous Christian author and speaker, Josh Proctor, who leads a, a ministry focused on helping people come out from uh, under the addiction to pornography, Joy uh, Pedro, who does the same uh, for uh, women. And uh, when you watch the unedited version and the privacy of your home, you watch the entire, uh, entire thing, I do want you to know that th- the video isn't uh, perfect. Uh, there, is a, uh, there is a place where uh, Josh McDowell, he makes the statement that God's Word isn't enough uh, to bring a person out of uh, addiction to pornography. And you can you, if the same thing can happen to you, because we, we have such a high esteem for the Word of God here, that it can kind of floor you. But it, it was clumsy what he was saying, and he didn't mean how it comes across. What he was saying is, of course, the Word of God is vital and the Holy Spirit is vital, but this an, uh, can be a bondage in a person's life where there is also the need for bearing one another's burdens, the need for someone else coming alongside and, and providing uh, support and accountability in coming out. So when you read that and for the whatever percentage of you that floors you and distracts you, just realize, we all any of us that speaks extemporaneously as he's doing in there. We're going to say things that could be better put. And so that's what, that's what he meant, and, and don't let it uh, trouble you in any way. And so let, we'll show the video now, and then I'll close it up with a couple of encouragements.
1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, uh, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is actually a very serious one. We're going to talk about pornography and pornography in the church in particular, and the various ministries that are available to help people deal with this area and what's going on in this area. How How did did you get into a ministry that's involved with pornography?
2: About nine years ago... I started to censor something wrong with culture, with the youth and all that was affecting their authority, their source of authority. I, Daryl, I couldn't put my finger on it. It took me a whole year. Usually I can tell you what the problem is instantly. And I remember I called my wife and I said, honey, I now understand what it is. It's pervasive Internet pornography. Hmm. And I felt as an apologist that if I do not deal with a poly- with uh, pornography and its effect upon truth, then I'm not fulfilling God's calling in my life. Because I think probably one of the biggest barriers today for kids coming to Christ is wow. pornography. And
3: Joy, how did you end up being in this area? Yeah, so it all started my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. I was a new Christian. I was healing from some sexual abuse and turning to pornography for comfort. Mm-hmm. And so from that journey, I just felt so alone and shameful and didn't hear anyone talk about it, especially for women. You hear that men struggle with pornography, but not women. And so I felt even more alone. And I went to crew, I was involved in crew mm-hmm. and I went to one of their women's nights and a woman went first and shared her story of how she was struggling with pornography and found freedom. Hmm. And that gave me the gift to go second and be able to share my story and find freedom. Hmm. And from that, I started to look for resources and realized there weren't that many out there for women. Hmm. And so I launched my blog and I started speaking and teaching just to help women find freedom from shame. But
1: Hmm. uh, Talk to us about some of the statistics that we're dealing with and how pervasive this is.
2: There's 26 million pornographic websites, one click away from right here in my living room, 2.3 billion pages. Just one of 26 billion sites, just one, last year had 23 billion visitors. Mm. That's over 64 million every day. They had 91 billion, 980 million porn videos watched. That is enough videos for 12 and a half videos for a man, woman, and child alive. And that's only one site of 26 million. Hmm. They said 4.4 billion pages viewed by that site every 30 days. Hmm. But get this. It comes out to 201 trillion pages last year by just one site If you printed those pages out from one site in one year, it would fill over 20 billion four-drawer file cabinets. Another site, every two seconds, Daryl, every two seconds, 4,000 more porn videos are being shown. And that's only on two sites. Hmm. Uh, Whenever somebody says, well, my kids won't look for it, that's about the dumbest statement you can make. Because porn is looking for your kids, even Sorry. before shame. You cannot understand pornography if you don't understand the human brain. Hmm. You cannot understand an answer to pornography if you don't understand neurology, you can't. Hmm. It's more than just biblical. Within 10 seconds, your brain is physically, biologically changed. And I've got all the documentation on that. Within 10 seconds of a video screen passing in front of you, this wouldn't be, um, um, oh, come on, where you read books on it? Uh, my mind went blank. But on a passing screen like an iPad, Kindle, it's not in a Kindle, it's like an iPad or a cell phone, within 10 seconds, your brain changes.
1: Okay. Well, wh- That
2: happens before you ever sense shame or anything.
1: Okay. This is something that's actually been studied and tested a great deal, hasn't it?
2: Oh, it has by just about every neurologist out there. And the biggest thing, and it's the biggest change immediately, and what we must deal with in any solution is that you've heard the phrase, cells that fire together, wire together. Hmm. What that means, in the example of pornography, when you see pornography move across a screen, the images are so novel, so powerful, Instantly, a certain combination of cells in your brain fires. And every time you see pornography, those same cells fire. And what happens in a short period of time, you develop what's called neurological pathways. It's like walking through a woods. After quite a few times, you develop a a dirt path. Well, this is what happens in your brain. Okay,
1: Joy, you said you could talk about trust. Let's talk about that.
3: Yeah. So I was at a speaking engagement talking about this issue and afterwards a woman came up to me, tears in her eyes saying she had finally found freedom p- from pornography, but her biggest worry was, will a man ever love me because of my past, or because of my sin? And so I, she just worried that a man wouldn't be able to trust her. And I was able to share that I married a man who never struggled with pornography. And so I had the same feelings and to be able to be married to him and see him love me like Christ loves me and to look at me as a pure bride. It's just when I was encouraging her and telling her that if a man loves Jesus, he's going to look at you as pure. He's going to trust you. And so just to be able to use my story to help her um, find that healing. There's
1: another element of trust Uh. that's a part of the equation. I'm going to come to you, Josh P., for this. And that is... Um, the element of trust of the spouse who finds out that this is going on in their house, and the, and, and, and I guess the other word that goes with this, the sense of betrayal that comes with right. it. Mm-hmm. So um, let's
4: talk a little bit about that, and 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 those consequences. So for my marriage, uh, we went to you know some Christian counseling, and one of the things that he did is. He had a a dry erase board and on the dry erase board, he wrote down, like he, he said on a scale of one to 10, um, my wife's name is Kelly. He said, so on a scale of one to 10, Kelly, um, how would you rate, um, Josh's understanding of what he did wrong? Mm -hmm. And so she put it at a 10 Mm -hmm. and then he said on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate Josh's understanding of what that did to your heart? Mm -hmm. And she put it at a two Mm -hmm. and my being able to build trust back with my wife was directly tied to my understanding of her pain. Hmm. Hmm. And so the the more that I was able to understand her pain, the more trust was able to be built. And the more I understood her pain, the more boundaries I put in my life mm-hmm. and the more help I got, hmm. because I never wanted to do that to her again. Mm-hmm. And the more help I got and the more boundaries I put in place, the more trust that.
0: Well, you get the idea of it and uh, uh, very helpful for um, uh, watching that for your own edification and uh, equipping. The, uh, when we watched that video as pastors and we thought it's not just enough, of course, to just make people aware of the problem that it is or that it's wrong. Um, but we thought, let's try and identify what are some of the very best written uh, audio, also uh, video resources for helping people and, uh, to, and wanting freedom from uh, this, the bondage of this sin. And so we went to work and uh, put together on our website – Uh, 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 a lot of good resources for what we think are the best in terms of someone looking and saying I want to read a book about this I want to listen to some testimonies on this I want to watch a video related to this and uh, and on our website we've put up a whole new resources section uh, to, to our website where there's this is addressed, but then we've got, uh, you know, talking about marriage, talking about parents, uh, parenting, atheism, creation, evolution, singles, missions, uh, ministry, homosexuality, transgenderism, and uh, these are all hot uh, topics that are going on right now, and you'll find great resources and reference materials related uh, to that uh, on the website. But what we wanted to do was... To just simply, for us as a church body, to let you know that in terms of recommending this video, recommending the resources on the website, there's a desire for us to educate uh, our body and our fellowship on the issue, and then also to destigmatize the sin in terms of uh, people realizing there's hope there, and that uh, if you come for help within this body, uh, you 'll get help, and uh, we won 't shame you related to uh, you know the the need for help coming out of of that bondage and and again just the desire to to help people and so to educate to destigmatize and and to help. You can access this particular uh, video and all of the resources, but this particular uh, table video uh, by uh, going on the website, clicking on the resources. Uh, and then going to useful links, and that'll take you there, and it'll pull up along with uh, everything else. If you uh, don't understand anything about what I'm talking about uh, in terms of that progression, just call the office during the week, and they'll, they'll help you, guide you uh, uh, through that. As well as a part of everything that's being listed there, there's a place for you to uh, privately and confidentially make contact with with us. And if you want to uh, talk with somebody, uh, we, we can't counsel the entire world, but uh, related to if you attend this fellowship and you want help and you want uh, someone to help you walk out of this thing uh, because you're unsuccessful in, in doing it uh, on your own, we want to help you. And uh, that's a part of the site as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. I, uh, one final thing before we do that, uh, just to let you know that we're going to be making uh, this uh, the, the focus of our Sunday evening prayer meeting tonight and the sanctuary at 515 to 545, and uh, for the Lord to just to pray for our body, for victory in this area. We don't want… Uh, half of a church body to be living with the grieving and the quenching of the Holy Spirit or in constant shame or in constant guilt and defeat. That's not what God has for us. And so we know there's a whole intercession side to all of this as well. And, uh, And certainly make it a part of your own private intercession. But to come tonight to pray as well for the Lord to really use all of this in people's lives. Lord, we thank you for this exhortation tonight this morning, rather, from your Word and uh, speaking to uh, waking up and casting off and, and putting on. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us personally on each of these issues. We don't want Christianity to become compartmentalized in our life or just some little thing that's in a corner about our lives. We want to live this in its uh, fullest, Lord, and so we pray that you continue to speak to us in that in that vein, so that so that this is our, the, what you've provided to us in your Son would be our full and constant uh, portion. And Lord, I pray and we pray for every single man and woman that is impacted by these statistics and impacted by the video, impacted by the offer for help, Lord. And we pray that how this hits each and every person, Lord, that you would come alongside them, that uh, for those that are uh, caught in the bondage of all of this and and feeling hopeless in it, Lord, that you would use this, putting forward these things, Lord, uh, on a Sunday morning, that you would use this to uh, help them come and get the help that they need and, and to come into the victory that you have provided to us, Lord. Bless us. Bless us as a congregation, we pray, in this area and in every area of our lives. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.